The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. I didn't get a chance to say it um, as, uh, as you came in today. I want to say welcome to Artisan Church, and uh, it's good to have you with us. And this is the second week in our series that was basically generated by you and your responses to our question. You can't talk about that in church. And last week, Anna gave a great message on singleness. And you can get that message via our podcast. If you just go to artisanchurch.com slash podcast, you can find that message there. And uh, I encourage you to listen to that one. And next week is the topic that we kind of all figured out ahead of time. People would put on the little cards, and that's the topic of homosexuality. And Jason is going to handle that one next week. Um, but this week's topic, I have to confess, I was a little bit surprised to see the the really kind of huge response asking us to talk about the topic of depression. Um, and yet it was, the, it was the second most popular uh, topic that we got requested to speak about. And so today we're going to talk about depression in church. And uh, when I say we are going to talk about it, I don't just mean I'm going to talk to you about it. Uh, I don't mean that you are going to ask me questions about it, though we'll do some of that too. But we are actually going to talk about it. Um, as a church. And so I'll start out by giving you a quick personal story about how depression affected my family. Uh, when I was growing up, my, my grandfather, I called him Grampy, that's kind of a main thing. Gramp or Grampy, you hear that in Maine a lot. But my Grampy uh, actually was affected pretty, pretty profoundly by depression. He was, he was kind of like the favorite grandparent all growing up, and he was the one who, uh, who would have conversations with me about stuff that other people wouldn't necessarily, and he was the one who would slip me the $20 bill um, and say, don't tell your father about that, and uh, he was the one who'd help me, you know, fix my bike, and um, when I had my first serious girlfriend, he was the one who talked to me about some things that every teenager should be talked to about when they have a serious girlfriend, um, and yet toward the end of his life, uh, during my college years when I would come back to visit him, he would very often be just lying in his bedroom in the middle of the day, not wanting to talk to anybody, unshaven, and not feeling good at all. And uh, I didn't really pick up, I didn't know what was going on at the time, but, but I have since learned that he was clinically depressed and was on medication that helped him with that somewhat. But uh, as my Graham said to me in email this week, you know, if he could have just magically appeared dressed and shaven, he might have been a little better off, but he just couldn't even get himself out of bed some days. And, uh, and it turns out that he, he often had, throughout his life, had been medicating himself with things like, like buying clothes, honestly, was his thing. He was a very dapper guy. I mean, picture that guy with the hat from those pictures in the 40s. That was my grampy, uh, dancing with three different women. Um, but later in life, when he was depressed, my gram said that in her basement, 
on a clothesline was 178 neckties for a guy who wouldn't even get up and go to church most Sundays uh, anymore. And he had, she found a drawer full of completely unused white sweat socks that he had just bought because he, you know, that was what made him feel okay. Um, and it was kind of a, a bizarre thing to look at now, but, but that was basically all he had to keep him going when he was still functioning. And then toward the end of his life, he was just kind of in bed most of the time when I saw him. And it was really sad for me to see this guy who had taught me, you know, how to throw a curveball um, to just be lying there. So that story, I know, is one that, that probably connects all too well to some of you because you have had a family member or a friend who's been in that situation. Or you yourselves have been in that situation and some days you just don't feel like you can even move because you're so paralyzed with sadness and depression. And it's, it's kind of a, you know, I guess what I want to say to you is that you're not alone, first of all. Uh, not only is depression, you know, kind of clinically studied, really common in the United States. In fact, one study by the National Drug Abuse Council said that it was... 8% of people have had a major depressive episode in the previous 12 months. So that's about 1 in 10 in the last year has suffered with depression. Um, and, of course, the, the challenge of, of self-medication with drugs or alcohol or shopping or spending or, or sex or any number of other things um, becomes sort of a secondary weight in your life if that's what you're dealing with. And so, so you're not alone among you know, your peers in America, certainly. I would say you are also not alone among the people of faith. If you read the... We, we talked about David recently in, the, in First and Second Samuel. His predecessor, Saul, classic bipolar. Constantly depressed. Only soothed by music. You know, it would say David played this music for him and it, and it soothed his soul. But he was... You know, he was, you know, just all over the map emotionally and in the end literally fell on his own sword, died by his own hand as a result of that. And, you know, you can find other, some of the prophets, yeah, they were depressed. They had a message, but it it came out of their own souls. Um, And so, honestly, it's really humbling for me to... to, uh, be in a place to talk with you about this, Um, partly because I know it is such a serious, serious issue. We're literally talking about matters of life and death, really all through this series, because the, the, the question of singleness and loneliness in the first week and the question of struggles with homosexuality in the third week, um, really this kind of, they, they both point back to this one in some ways, because those cause major depression in your life sometimes. But So it's humbling to talk to you about that, and also uh, it's humbling because, at least at this point in my life, it's not something that I personally struggle with. And so I want to be very careful that I'm not candy-coating anything or saying stuff to you that makes you feel like I'm glossing over the real issue and that kind of thing. So I will try my best to be conscious of that. Let me apologize in advance if I, if I don't handle that as well as, as maybe I could. But. Do you know who Charles Spurgeon is? of a famous Reformed preacher. 
he suffered from depression and, and couldn't even get to the pulpit sometimes. And this is the way he described it, um, which is really poignant. He said, there are dungeons underneath the castle of despair, as dreary as the abodes of the lost, and some of us have been in them. So you are not alone, again. And another thing that I would like to say to you is that uh, I don't believe that this is purely a spiritual issue, okay? Too often in the church, we're happy to go to the doctor if we break our arm, but anything that happens between our ears must be the devil. You have a spirit of depression, and we need to rid you of that. You need to rid yourself of that by praying more or by memorizing scripture. I appreciate the good intentions of people who say that kind of thing, but it is, I consider it nonsense. Now, obviously, the Bible tells us that all that we're dealing with in this crazy, broken world is the result of a spiritual battle on some level. But all I would say is I'd put the broken arms in there too, okay? And you're okay to go get a, a cast if you're a Christian, right? Now here's, I'm going to step outside my expertise slightly and tell you that, that depression is the result of an error in the chemistry of your brain. Not always. But neurotransmitters, that, these little chemicals that, that communicate between the nerves in your body serotonin, as an example, when they get out of balance, it does affect your mood. I'm not going to talk any more about science because I've already probably screwed up the concepts. <laughs> um, we, some of us had a little chuckle on Thursday at Financial Peace when Dave Ramsey talked about people uh, being studied purchasing stuff while they were in an MRI. I don't think that's how an MRI works, and we all kind of laughed at, at him. So I wouldn't want you to be laughing at me saying, oh, that's not what neurotransmitters are, man. Come on. But the, the scientific reality is that the, the chemistry of your brain affects your mood. And for some of us, it's out of whack. And so I would say, don't feel like this is purely a spiritual issue. Don't feel like this is because you have done something wrong spiritually. Don't feel like this is because you aren't holy enough and uh, this is God's separative punishment for you. Um, and don't feel like you're necessarily going to be able to fix this by praying. Let me give you a, a sort of a in-between the broken arm and depression example in my own life. I, uh, as some of you know, have psoriasis, and you can see little, little bits of it here on my elbow. If, you'd know, if you didn't know me three years ago, if you did, you would have seen this covering my arms and some of my chest and my knees and legs and stuff too. And let me tell you, I prayed about that and nothing happened um, for quite a while. And I took all kinds of topical, like more traditional, okay for most Christians medications. And then I, I, what actually fixed this for me almost entirely was a really bizarre injection. So I, once a week I inject myself with a protein. It's a fusion protein that essentially deliberately messes with my immune system to make it stop overproducing skin cells. Now, that is a really strange chemical intervention that has made a huge difference in my life. And I would suggest to you that even though depression is not something that you can see on somebody's arm, 
that there is also a chemical intervention that can make a huge difference there. And that's not a sin to do that kind of thing, okay? Now, I've dwelled on that a while, but I wanted to be very clear about that. And then, before we jump into a sort of, I think, a helpful scriptural response, I would point to Jesus' words on the cross. What did Jesus say before he gave up his spirit? He quoted Psalm 22 and said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Son of God said, why have you forsaken me? And none of us is nailed to the cross, but I want to suggest to you that if it was okay for Jesus to have that kind of visceral response in questioning his Father, it's okay for us to have that kind of response as well. And so some, t- some of you have been dealing with depression for, for a long time and feel like it would be a sin to say, God, what is going on? What are you doing to me? Why have you left me alone? It's not a sin to say that. In fact, in saying that might be the beginning of, of some ability to cope with this. Would you grab the Bibles from under your chairs or, or the ones that you brought with you and turn to Psalm 13, please? I want to use uh, Psalm 13 as an example of a sort of scriptural response to pain and depression. It's on 429 in the Red Bibles if you're, if you're digging around there. I'm going to read this whole psalm and then I'll talk very briefly about the structure of it and how that might be a, a starting point for us. And then we'll, then we'll actually start talking to each other a little bit, okay? Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have prevailed. And my foes will rejoice, because I am shaken. But I trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. So this psalm, very simply, has three kind of movements to it. The first movement is questioning God. Now, I don't mean asking God a question. I mean questioning God. How does he open the psalm? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Are you even there? Am I crazy to believe in God in the first place? That's not like, dear God, please help me to see you at work in my life, because I know you are. It's just really hard, God. No, that is like, where the F are you right now? Okay? So, if you, are, if you were to compose your own lament psalm, you might start, something, start with something along those lines. A question of God. Not necessarily even just a question to God but a question of God, all right? So if you're composing your lament psalm in your head, you start there. 
The second thing is a plea for help. Verse 3, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Now, I don't mean, I don't think this means consider like, Lord, think about me, would you? On your way to the market? I think it's like, look at me. Consider me. Look, look at me and answer me. I've questioned you and now I'm begging you, give me an answer. Give light to my eyes. Help me understand. And then this, this plea has kind of, in this case, a little subsection where he basically tries to convince God that God has good reason. You know, and you see this throughout the Psalms. Like, if you don't help me, I'm going to die. And then my enemies are going to say, well, we've won. And, and sometimes in the Psalms it goes, it's even more poignant. Like, God, who's going to praise your name if I go down to the pit, if, I, if you let me go, all my enemies are going to say, all your enemies are going to say, we were right, there is no God. That seems like kind of a strange bargaining chip, but there it is in the Bible. So question God, a plea for help, and then this, this kind of ending here, verses 5 and 6, which is really kind of... A strange juxtaposition. It's a little jarring that he moves into this statement of faith at the end. Now, maybe he wrote this afterward, after he'd been through this moment, or, or maybe he's just operating from a place of faith, even though he's in this horrible situation. And that may sound nonsensical, especially if you're not a person of faith in the first place. But ultimately, that is what faith means. Accepting and believing in God's presence in your life, even, even during the times when you're not really seeing any evidence for it. So if you were to write your own lament psalm, and, and I might actually encourage you to do this this week, sit down and write something based on this structure. It's very simple. Question, a plea for help, and a statement of some kind of faith, whatever you can muster. That seems to be what the psalmist does, at least in this case. So, in just a second, I'm going to ask us to, to have some conversation together. But I want to close with just a really quick um, list of resources that you, you can avail yourself of if you are depressed. The first thing I want to tell you to do is that you need to talk to, to one of us, one of the pastors here. Uh, if you're struggling with this, especially if it's something that you've never talked to anybody else about. Now, I'm not going to promise we have answers or can fix this for you with a magic prayer or something, but you really need to start the process of, of being in, getting good counsel from, from people within the church. Uh, and not just us, but to each other, okay? Can we agree here and now that um, this is not going to be a place where in order for people to believe that you're actually a real Christian, you have to put on some fake smile when you walk in the door. Can we agree on that right now? That this can be a place where people who are depressed or suffering from anything can be open and honest about that with each other. And let me tell you something. If you are going to be the kind of person who somebody opens to you and says, I'm depressed, and you're going to kind of beat on them about their spiritual life being all out of whack, and that's the reason... I love you, but can you go away right now? Because this is not going to be that kind of place.
And if you want some more professional medical-style intervention, uh, the U of R Medical Center has a, a psych center that you can see, and Agape Christian Counseling uh, will kind of be a, a medium ground between that kind of totally secular intervention and, and pastoral intervention that doesn't really have any expertise in, in psychological uh, counseling and that kind of thing. So please do, like, take that one step. I know, it, like my grandpa, it's hard to get out of bed and take one step. But if you can only take one step, make it towards somebody who can help you, okay? So <clears throat> what I'd like to do is, um, in the next 20, 25 minutes, I want to have some discussion and I want to do this in two ways. The first way is I want you guys to spend a few minutes talking to each other. Okay, and then after you've done that, I want to bring it back to the, the, the whole room and give you a chance to ask some questions of me. Now, I'm, again, not an expert on this topic, uh, but maybe some of what I've said has been confusing or, or challenging or you want to argue with me about it or... Uh, you just want to share something that kind of might illuminate me somewhat. Um, I want to give you a chance to do that as well. But first, I'd like you to talk in, in groups together. So when I say go, um, I want you to break into groups of about 10 to 12 people. Probably no more than 12 if you can help it. But not like four either, okay? And, <clears throat> excuse me, you can, you can be in groups of one or the other, one of two types, Okay. Groups roughly on this side of the room, uh, I would like you to be, if you, if you want to talk about that psalm, I have some guiding discussion questions for Psalm 13 over here. If you want to have a more personal discussion about how depression has affected your life or your family's life or that kind of thing, I want you to be over here. Now, I'm, if you're smart, you can probably guess that I'm doing this because sometimes people who are feeling this stuff aren't comfortable talking about it. But I'm t if, if you are one of those people, I would really encourage you to be as brave as you can and be over here, okay? Um, but really, it's, it's a matter of whichever topic interests you more. I'm going to give a couple of questions about Psalm 13 here. You can discuss that sort of a mini Bible study. Uh, and a couple of questions about personal depression and how that's handled in the church over here, okay? So take like two minutes, get your groups. It'll probably be two groups on each side or roughly like that, um, and if you need to bleed into the middle a bit, that's okay too. And then I'll, I'll shout out some questions for your groups to handle, okay? And then I'll call you back in 10 or 12 minutes. So go ahead and, and break up for a minute. I can already tell there's going to be a little bit more interest in the personal stories. So uh, you Bible study nerds, maybe squeeze over there as far as you can get. <laughs> Okay, now that you're basically situated, let me tell you the questions, and some smart soul in each group is probably going to write these down on his, his or her bulletin so that I don't have to repeat them again because I don't have them on the screen. I apologize for that. For you Bible study people, uh, I have a few questions, and here they are. Somebody got a pen? Which verse or phrase do you most closely identify with, okay, from that psalm? 
is the first question. That's a pretty easy one to remember. Just read the psalm and say what, which one kind of most feels like you. Second question is, how do you feel about that last stanza, verses 5 and 6, where he we, speaks of faith? And the third question is, discuss how that psalmist uses his plea to try to convince God and uh, talk about any ways that you might have ever tried to do that in your own prayers. Uh, you know, if you don't help me, X will happen. Got it? And uh, for, for the personal story, people, I have two questions for you. The first one is just, and, and just be, be aware, we don't have time for everybody to answer every question. So, you know, let the group kind of flow a little bit. But um, you or someone you know has struggled with depression. Share that story. Like, tell the story I told, like the one I told about my grampy. Um, no longer than that, probably. But just, you know, if it's your story, that's fine. If it's somebody in your family or a friend, um, that's okay, too. Speak generically if names might be obvious, that kind of thing. Um, and then the second question is, how have you seen the church deal with depression and, and kind of mental illness in general, maybe? Uh, and has that been helpful or unhelpful in, in what ways, that kind of thing? Okay, got those questions? I'd like you to take 10 minutes and do this. So you're not going to be able to go into too much depth here, maybe 12, and we'll, we'll wrap up with, with about the same amount of time of group Q&A as well, Okay. So get to it. While you're sitting down, I have two, um, I think, really insightful quotations to read to you. These are both from an author named uh, Walter Brueggemann, who wrote a book called The Message of the Psalms, in which he talks about the three different types of psalms, and one of them is psalms of disorientation. Psalm 13, definitely one of those. And he says, the, the problem with a hymnody, or the, in other words, a, a, a song catalog that we sing as a church, which the Psalms are for the, the Hebrew people, the problem with a hymnody that focuses on equilibrium, coherence, and symmetry is that it may deceive and cover over. Life is not like that. Life is also savagely marked by disequilibrium, incoherence, and unrelieved asymmetry. So sometimes we get a little happy-clappy in the church, and that's the, the Psalms don't represent that, and I, I wouldn't, wouldn't want us to do that either. And the other thing that he says in talking specifically about Psalm 13, that first section, he says, whatever must be said about the human situation must be said directly to Yahweh, God, who is Lord of the human experience and partner with us in it. So if you, if you can kind of connect the first section and the last section of that Psalm by saying, I'm speaking directly to God because God is my partner in the human situation, um, and, and uh, the incarnation of Jesus is kind of the central moment of that, that might put some of that together for you a little bit better. But. So that's Walter Brueggemann. He's really great. Challenging, but great. So you've spent some time talking together, and uh, I wondered if maybe you would like to spend five or six minutes, maybe a little longer if it's going well, um, asking questions of me. Did, did I say something that offended you or confused you and I can clarify it or offend you some more? Or, um, first of all, you don't have to leave if you have different beliefs than me about what causes depression. You, you do have to leave if you're going to abuse people about it. So, um, just to be clear on that, I, I don't want to send anybody packing. Um, well, not everybody, anyway. So, uh, Pastor Mike has, Pastor Mike's going to pass the mic. 
to MCA, go on and do anything you like. I feel like I I should turn my hat slightly sideways. (laughs) Pastor Mike, so if you have a question, stick your hand up and and he'll chase you down with a microphone and you can ask the question or, or have a comment. Is there, um, from anybody's experience, a difference that you see between clinical depression and non-clinical depression? Like, are there different symptom signs, or is it all one go? That's a really good question. Um, I, am, I am unable to diagnose the difference between just kind of the blues and clinical depression. Um, I think there is a difference, yes. I don't think all... I don't think every time you're depressed, it needs to be medicated, certainly, for example. Um, but I, I don't, I'm not qualified to make that distinction. So, yes, there is a distinction. No, I don't know what the symptoms are and what the indicators are. But, but if, uh, if, if anybody hears Janine's question and thinks, I'm not sure where I am on that spectrum, I would still encourage you to talk to me or Jason or Mike, and we'll, we'll get you started there, and we can help you find somebody who can help you with that distinction. Um, actually, in answer to Jeannie's question, um, from personal experience, I'm, I'm bipolar, and uh, it is a, a chemical imbalance in my brain that causes me to have my, most, most of my depressive or manic episodes. Um, I have the most under control by behavioral stuff, but the big difference is that a lot of the time with clinical depression, it's, you don't know a cause. For myself personally, there have been many times where I've been in a severe depressive episode, and there is absolutely nothing wrong with my life. Not like I didn't know there was something uh, something wrong. There was nothing wrong. There was zero cause. It was a pure chemical problem. And that's not true for all clinical depression, but it is for some. Thank you. That's helpful. Um, Another response to Janine's question is um, I, I believe that I suffer from seasonal depression or sometimes it's called sad. And that's like I just get depressed if it's, you know, during winter or if it's very dark or rainy or cloudy for a long time. Um, but I, Rochester. yeah, basically living in Rochester. <laughs> so, uh, which sometimes makes me feel like it's all the time, but I think it really is tied to weather. Mm. So I think that's different than clinical depression, maybe. But I, I, mean, I, I haven't, like, been diagnosed by a professional. That's just what I think. Yeah. That is a, a seasonal affective disorder, she also called SAD. Um, it's, I think, fairly common in this part of the country and other parts of the country. But, and there's, there's some science that suggests that, that vitamin D from the sun uh, affects the chemical balance uh, with neurotransmitters and so forth. Uh, it's not conclusive, but, but there's, that's very common to be more depressed in cloudy weather than in sunny weather. Yeah. Ming? Um, I think based on the classes I've been taking in um, abnormal psych and stuff, uh, usually a psychotherapist would find out the cause of your depression or in, through a series of sessions and then determine if it's clinical or if, it's, if there's a valid reason for that. And then we'll determine if it needs psychotropic drugs or just talk counseling would help, and yeah. they'll make those decisions. And SAD is in the DSM-4, which is just updated, so. (laughs) Where am I going? 
siphon off those donuts. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, seriously, if you're going to point to the back corner. <laughs> um, what's your stand on therapy, psychotherapists? Um, I know a lot of churches, um, the leadership recommends that people go to only Christian therapists. Mm-hmm. And I just wondered what... Yeah, that's a good question. Um, there's a, there's a, a level of opposition within the church to um, traditional psycho, psychological uh, science. Um, in, in part for what is what's sort of a good reason, but I think their conclusion is wrong, is that, that a lot of the fathers of, of modern psychiatry were, were very anti-God. They were atheists or they were materialists or, or they, they, you know... So the church has kind of responded by saying, how can you get treatment from an, an entire, basically, industry that's based on rejecting God? Um, I would not come down nearly that hard on it, as you probably already have guessed. Uh, as to the question of whether it's ever okay to go to a counselor who's not a Christian, I would say, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've got to, be, you've got to use discretion with that. Um, what's not okay is to, to find yourself in a counseling situation where your counselor is not willing to uh, accept your perspective of faith. And, um, you know, you don't want somebody who's, who's sitting you down and saying, well, your entire basis for life is wrong and this is part of your problem. Your counselor may believe that, but a good counselor can, can work with you, in, you know, and, and respect your faith, just as a Christian counselor can respect the, the non-faith of a person who's not a Christian, though, you know. Just uh, an add-on to that. It's, it's also not uncommon to have that same um, divergence of faith when going to a Christian counselor as well. Just because a Christian counselor, you know, puts the fish on their sign yep. does not mean that they share the same faith structure that, or, or understanding of how God works in, in your life and in the lives of people around you That's right. that you do. A good counselor is going to find out how you see things and lead you with questions to help you find your answers as opposed to trying to prescribe answers for you. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, ethically, as a therapist, uh, there are uh, ethic codes for all therapists that they should not impose their own thoughts on their clients. And if they see there is a conflicting um, thought process between uh, between a client and a therapist, a good therapist would recommend the client to go to somebody else that has the same beliefs. And as a client, you do have a right of t- uh, sharing your beliefs with the therapist and um, talking about their differences and then make a decision if you want to stay with the therapist or not. Yes, that's a very good point uh, as well. Now, sometimes that therapist will not act ethically and will not always. I don't want to paint them with a too broad a brush. I've, I've encountered that at least once as a pastor talking to somebody who is seeing a counselor who is sabotaging that person's faith, basically. So, Time for one or two more questions if you, if you have them or comments. Yeah. 
Matt's asking about the distinction between types of therapists, psychologists, psychiatrists, and so forth. I think if you'd like to answer that, you're probably more qualified than I am. Oh, okay. Um, there are many schools of therapy, uh, therapists, of, uh, you might know. There's like humanists, behavioralists, and just many, many schools. And before you go to the therapist, maybe you want to check out which one might work well with you, and you might not. I personally am a humanist therapist, so we believe in the intrinsic human uh, power of human nature, and we work from that point. But with behavioralists, they do things behaviorally with ABA. Uh, my fellow music therapist, who's a behavioralist, isn't here today, but uh, there are many schools of therapists, and it's perfectly fine for you to go check out which schools of therapists uh, or therapy will um, suit you better. Or if you don't know, you can just... It's hard to say this because it's, it's your money, it is your time, but it's always good to try out. Yeah. As I said, I don't want you to be paralyzed by, by not going to somebody because there's too many choices, that kind of thing. Tilly probably has some really good insight, too, here. I think uh, a just an important distinction is a psychiatrist is a medical doctor who can prescribe medication. Right. A psychologist cannot prescribe medication. A social worker cannot prescribe medication. You have to be a medical doctor to do right. that. So if you need the medication and you're going to a therapist, you also should be involved with a psychiatrist who can recommend that. I would also say that, um, you know, social workers do a lot of therapy. About 60% of the mental health professionals are social workers Mm. also. And uh, I think sometimes people forget that and think we're only taking children away from people or doing something else, but it's, it really yeah. uh, is a big part of that mental health system yeah. on there. Good point. Also, I would respond to uh, an earlier question about the difference between clinical depression and other depression, and it was mentioned about the uh, DSM-4R, and basically it revolves around behaviors so that if you have a change in your behavior with eating, with sleeping, a lot of behavioral kinds of things. And an important key is it has to be in a duration of a certain number of weeks. So if a person just says, oh, I've had a terrible two days, that's not really clinical depression because you would have had to have it over consecutive weeks in order to do that uh, clinically depressed. So that would be one of the mm-hmm. distinctions on there. But a lot of it is, revolves around behavior in your own life. Okay. Thank you, Tilly. That's really illuminating. appreciate that. Well, um, again, we, it, it's good to talk together, and I, I've really appreciated your, your insight and your input. We, we do need to draw this to a close now so that we can get you out of here before uh, the sun goes down. Um, but thank you so much for your participation in this topic and, and your engagement with it. I'm going to ask Pastor Mike to come and, and lead us in a time of response. Uh, let me ask everybody to bow your heads. Uh, we're going to, to pray together in a way that is very familiar to me uh, growing up. It's a part of every week's Mass. Um, it's petitioning God. I will, I will say something, and then as a congregation, if you're in agreement... You answer aloud, Lord, hear my prayer. So if you'll indulge me, bow your heads, please.
Lord, we come to you today, some of us feeling just fine, and some of us feeling like we're dragging, like we're dragging heavy weights behind us. We ask you to hear our prayer today. Lord, for those who are struggling with depression, Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, for those people who wrestle those demons each and every day, each and every week, we ask you to hear our prayer today. For those things that we only admit to ourselves when we're alone and when we're quiet in our minds, Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, for those among us, maybe ourselves, who are learning, yearning for that sense of peace and who are clinging to whatever hope we can find, Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, for those of us who are looking for a church, a group of people where we can be accepted and understood for who we are, Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, for those of us who are caregivers, family, or friends, giving love to someone who is going through a deep depression, we ask you to hear our prayer today. Now take just a moment quietly in your head and make whatever petition to God feels appropriate. Lord, for those unspoken prayers, we ask you to hear our prayer. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, as we approach the table of communion, we ask you to make these elements real for us today. Make them our spiritual food. Help us if this is our first, our first step of faith or if this is the first of many very labored steps of faith. We ask you to give us the strength to stand, the strength to walk, the strength to answer your call, and to approach the table with confidence. Lord, hear our prayer today. This has been the Artisan Church Podcast. To receive future podcasts, go to www.artisanchurch.com slash podcast or subscribe on iTunes. Thank you for listening.